welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week we begin reading from, a new, reading from a new book of the Torah, the fourth book, Bamidbar, which means numbers and wilderness, desert. Uh, this name is given to this uh, Torah portion because it talks about the census that was done uh, for the Jewish people, they were counted, and also because uh, it was given in the desert. This um, Bad Midbar is read be before Shavuot, before the holiday of Shavuot, and it's very relevant to the, the upcoming holiday. So the Shem Ishmael, he, he, he states from a Midrashic statement that it says the Torah was given accompanied by three things, with fire, with water, and in the wilderness. And so let's understand what this, what this Midrashic uh, statement really is trying to uncover. And uh, the Shem Ishmael, he says that we can say that a person is comprised of three primary constituents. One is the goof, which is the body, which is the physical component of a human being. And then the two non-physical parts, which is the seichel, which is the intellect component. And you have the nefesh, which is the emotional component of a human being. Uh, there's actually five levels of the soul, five levels that attribute to this. Uh, he's uh, comprising only these three, these three uh, basic levels. So let's see what the Torah, uh, how it penetrates in every fiber of our life, of our, of our makeup, and how we are really connected to this parasha that talks about the Bamidbar, the wilderness. So the wilderness is, as its name suggests, far from human habitation. Uh, the Torah was actually given in the desert for that reason, because it's ownerless. It means that it doesn't belong to anybody. The, the Torah is something that it's not for a place. Uh, it's not um, the, the wisdom of Hashem. It's not something that there's only one particular place in the world where you can live a life of Torah. A, a Jew can live outside of the land of Israel and he can still keep the Torah. He can still be a committed Jew. And anybody that wants it can really come and reach out to it. So a place where a person lives alone with no contact with civilization is the wilderness. And this corresponds to the intellect for several reasons. The brain, which is the seat of the intellect, is in the head. And if you see the, 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 the biological makeup of a person, you'll see that the head is really separate from the rest of the body. The head is actually the control center of the body, but it's separate from the body. And this might suggest that in reality, the intellect lives in its own world. A person can be in a party with all his friends, having a good time, but maybe his head is somewhere else. And he, nobody that's around him can know where this person really in his head, where he is. So the, the head is really divorced from the body. And of course, every person's intellectual makeup is different from the other. Uh, this means that in an objective sense, he is alone with his thoughts. And as no one in the world thinks in quite the same way as he thinks. People don't feel the same way, like you have children living in the same household, eating the same food, sleeping with the same blankets and the same everything. 
And each one is a world on its own. They have their emotions, they have their intellect. Nobody can feel like another person can feel. Uh, each person is a, a, unique, uh, a unique aspect in this world. So, so fire symbolizes the ability of man to fill himself with enthusiasm and encourage him to act. Fire is passion. Fire is the energy that we have within ourselves. And the King Shlomo, he exclaims in Shira Shirim, for love is as strong as death, jealousy is as strong as the grave, and its coals are coals of fire of a great flame. Thus the fire of the soul has the force to fuel the emotions, and it is clear then that when Hassan says that the Torah was given with fire, this means that it was able to stimulate the emotional capacity of man. So yes, passion is something that is very important. It's something that people need to be able to always be inspired, always be learning, always have things that they want to achieve. This is a very important component for, for humanity, for people to be able to feel that they're, 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 they matter, that their, their lives matter, that their thoughts matter, their actions matter. So finally, water represents the physical element of man. In the, in the thought system of the Maharal, every object is described in terms of Homer. So Homer is the raw substance, and Sura is the form which this material uh, 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 makes of it. So for example, if you have wood, wood would be the homer, but if you are um, a carpenter and you're able to make a chair or a, or a table or a bookcase out of wood, then the, the, this, this would become the suda. So you have the raw material and you have what you can make with the raw material. So the most striking example of pure unchanneled homer is water. Why? Because water, water will take the shape that you desire it to have. So if for example, you see you go to a wedding and they have these massive ice uh, sculptures made out of swans and flowers or trees or whatever you want. You can pour water into a mold, freeze it, and you're gonna have the most spectacular sculpture. Or you can put water in a glass and then it's gonna take the shape of the glass or you put it in the ice cubes and it's gonna have the shape of ice cubes. So the human body without the soul's guidance is merely an undeveloped homer. Uh, we are raw material. And the, and, the, and the soul, the neshama, is really what guides the body. So this idea can be used to explain the following Gemara, where it says that Rabbi Akiva says, the Torah was given in its entirety at Sinai, repeated at the tent of meeting, and the Mishkan, and again repeated at the plains of Moab. So the original acceptance of the Torah at Mount Sinai was primarily an intellectual one, as symbolized by Sinai's location. And in the desert, the Mishkan was placed where a Jew could bring an offering and repent for his transgressions. Imagine, the desert took such an important place for the giving of the Torah and for the Jewish people to be able to accept it. And they built their Mishkan in the desert and they brought the offerings to the Mishkan in the desert. So if, we, if, if he had endangered his holy soul with his sin, the animal soul would be accepted instead of his body. So this repetition of the Torah at the Mishkan does represents a soul felt emotional acceptance of the law 
And this is symbolized by the fire which came down from heaven consuming the offering. So the Hebrew word for planes, it's arbos, which can also mean mutual responsibility, that is ignoring the selfish needs of the body and harnessing them to the demands of the Torah. And this is why we were given the Torah in the desert, because really the desert was not a material place. It was a very raw, there was no Bloomingdale's, there was no cars, there was no nothing that we could use our time in material pursuits. It was a place where everything was spiritual because basically because it was devoid of the, of the physical. And the food, like people didn't think what they're gonna eat, the food would come from heaven. So they could really emerge in their spiritual pursuits in the desert. Thus the final repetition which took place at the plains of Moab by the waters of the Jordan corresponds to a physical acceptance of the Torah. So we would have never been able to accept the Torah in New York City, for example, with all these high rises. Or in a or Dubai or a place that has so much materiality in it we would have never been able to come and accept the Torah so we see then that the Torah was well designed to pervade every element of man his substance his emotions his intellect and thereby uh, we could indulge into in this Torah in the wisdom of the Torah accepting it with love so we could really come and perfect the world around us so we see that man's evil inclination at each of these three stages introduced a corresponding sin so we see that at Sinai the people indulged in, in idolatry right before after they were given the Torah 40 days later while Moshe was still up in, in Mount Sinai receiving the Torah, the Luchot, what did they do? They fell into idol worship. They built the golden calf. And this, this was actually an intellectual sin that came from them thinking like, oh, our, our leader died. They thought he had died. And so desperation came into them. And I, in, intellectually, they came to think, okay, we don't have Moshe anymore. We need a leader. What else did they know what to do? They created a, an idol. At the Mishkan, their sin was that the spies who succeeded in making the people despise Eretz Israel and fear their future encounters with its indigenous nations, they was not thought out of reaction, rather one of crude emotion. So we see further along in the Torah, when we will read the, the, the parasha of Shalah, we'll see how the Meraglim, the spies, came to the land of Israel to, to look at it, to scout it, and see what, how they were gonna come and conquer it. And instead they came out of bringing bad, a bad report. And this was actually an emotional, came from an emotional sin. And that the plains of Moab, the people committed immoral acts with the women of Moab, thus sinning with their bodies. And we'll see further again how the Jewish people sinned with the Moabite princesses and, uh, and then they, they came down into immoral acts. So it is interesting for us to know that since the sins occurred at such crucial moments, when the Torah was still new to the people, it was something that we were just becoming to become accustomed to, uh, these nascent nations was rise, really very impressionable. And that traces of them remain and still remain with us till today. Today, we're still doing teshuva for all these sins. 
And so it says that regarding the golden calf, we are told in Shemot, and on the day of remembrance of sin, I will remember the sin of theirs. Every Yom Kippur, we're, we're, it's the day that God forgave us for this sin. And we're every Yom Kippur, we're still asking forgiveness because many of our sins come from that sin. And concerning the sin of the Meraglim, we learned in Tehillim, he lifted up his hand against them, swearing to overthrow them in the wilderness, to cast out their seeds also among the nations and to scatter them in their lands. And since Israel cried for no reason at the report of the spies, Hashem gave us a reason to cry for the rest of till Messiah comes, which is Tisha B'Av, is the ninth of Av, which we're still uh, crying for the destruction of our temples. And the scene at the plains of Moab is described as follows in Yehoshua. Is this sin of Peor, the idolatry of Moab, too little for us, from which we have not been cleansed until today? And yes, today we still have immoral acts. People still are doing immorality in their relationships, one with the other. And we see that traces of these grave mistakes will remain with Klal Israel until, until the coming of Messiah. However, we must remember that we have a choice. We can choose to fall into these sins or not to fall into these sins. We have what was given to us, which is a guideline for life, given to us in the Midbar, in the wilderness, three, more than 3,000 years ago. And we have a way to get out of it. We don't need to wait till the end of days for us to, to come and, and repent our ways. We can do it now. So in this way, we will be able to reach our final goal. So I want to wish you a blessed week and remember, live a little higher. Thank you.